Grab the hand of the person standing next. No, just kidding. All right. Let's, uh, all right, let's, uh, let's pray over this message. Father God, we love you. We praise you. We glorify you in the mighty name of Jesus. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and that it's active and that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. God, we pray today that you would use this word to change us, challenge us, and to convict us. God, I pray that this message is an encouragement as well. Father, that people would leave here with a newfound love for you, for your grace, for your mercy, for your love for us. We praise and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 15, it says, Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor, and the rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from its own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man and refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold the land because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and you have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me. And have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house. Man, this is a story. Now, if you're here that last week, uh, we, we talked about David and Bathsheba. And uh, if you weren't here, let me give you the quick synopsis. David killed this guy Uriah so that he could sleep with his wife and make him his wife. And so in this story, this prophet Nathan comes to David and says, Hey man, I'm going to tell you this little parable. There was this guy that had a bunch of uh, lambs and a bunch of stuff. And this other guy came through that didn't have anything except one lamb. And then this guy killed that guy and took his lamb. And David's like, man, that's a horrible story. Any guy that does that should die and have to pay back fourfold. And then Nathan's like, hey man, plot twist. It's you. It's you. You did this. And then, he, and then he begins to prophesy to him from, by the Spirit of the Lord and says, you know what? And God is speaking to David and saying, I gave you everything. I gave you everything. I did everything for you and it still wasn't enough. And so now you go and you kill this guy and take his wife. That's it. Like, you know what? You're going to be a king of war. You're going to have problems. I'm going to take your wives. You're going to have problems with your own family turning against you. And this kid that was made because of that relationship, he's going to die. 
And David says, man, I sinned against the Lord. And then Nathan says, well, yeah, you did, but God forgives your sin now. But even though you forgive, you've, God forgave your sin, you've given everybody a reason to speak against God because of what you did. Now people can blaspheme God and say, look at what David did. There's a lot of, <laughs> lot of directions we could take this thing. There, there's 10 sermons, 10 different ways. Um, a uh, little short sermon in the midst of that. When you sin, you give people occasion to blaspheme God. Because people say, well, what about those Christians? It's not what we're talking about today. What we're talking about today is redemption. Because I really think that's the best part of this story. As much as I want to preach the, when you sin, you blaspheme God. Like, that's a good sermon. We'll preach that next time we get around to Second Samuel. But the sermon, really, I want to talk about today is the redemption. Because... We, we see David that he's a murdering, adulterous man and God still forgives him and God still uses him. And so for any one of you that have ever committed any sin, my, my hope is that you'll come out of this message encouraged that God forgives you and you can still be used by him. Amen. Now this sermon is special in that we have a special, or not the sermon, the uh, scripture is special in that we've got First Samuel, uh, excuse me, Second Samuel chapter 12 that talks about David. And his rebuke from Nathan. And then we have Psalm 51 where uh, in my Bible underneath it, it says uh, uh, the Psalm that David wrote after he was rebuked by Nathan. And so we can really kind of see the heart condition of David uh, of receiving this rebuke and what did he do with it. And so as first Samuel chapter, excuse me, second Samuel chapter 12 doesn't say it. We can see it in, in, in Psalm 51. So let's, let's walk through it. Amen. So uh, to be on a path of redemption, to be able to be forgiven, the, the first step of it is that you have to see yourself. You have to see yourself. Uh, in this story, uh, David hears this parable and he assumes it's about someone else. And the parable is, is quite simple. Uh, there's a rich man that has everything, a poor man that has nothing, and the rich man takes from the poor man. And, in, and as David hears this story, his initial response is like, man, what a horrible man would do this thing. Not even realizing that this story is about him. His initial response is that someone else uh, is wrong and someone else's deeds are wrong. And, and so he, he's, he's scorning this person and he's shaming this person because he can't even realize that it's about him. It's, it's kind of like this. Uh, how, how many people have ever said, man, I wish the president would just stay off of Twitter? Have you guys ever said that before? Like, man, it would just be so much easier if he would quit fighting with people online. He would just stay off and just do his job, right? But a lot of people will say that and then go back onto their own social media. And then they'll create a bunch of problems and, and, and get involved with other people on social media, creating their own problems in their lives. When they look at somebody else's life and say, man, they sure should do this. But hold on a second. I'm going to post about this and create a bunch of drama and problems in my own life. This could be for some, this probably isn't for you. This is uh, probably for somebody else. Verse 5, so David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. He said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die and he shall restore fourfold the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. This is typical for people. Very, very typical of people. They can see the problems with other people easier than they can see them in themselves. If you're, if you're a student of people as I am, you will notice that people complain the most about other people what they can't fix in themselves. Oh, that person's so messy. 
<laughs> David even goes so far to decide a judgment against this man. He says, you know what? This guy should die. A guy, any guy that would do something like that should die. And he should pay back fourfold. And you know what? He even goes so far to judge his heart and say, and he should have had pity on that man. That's what that man should have done. 100% clarity of what was wrong in the situation, but 100% blind that it was him. Yeah. It was him. David could see what was wrong with this other man, but he missed the point completely. Then Nathan says to David, you are the man. It's not like, hey, you're the man. It was like, no, you are the man. You are the man in this story. This story is about you. And David, David couldn't see himself because he assumed that he was good. This happens in the church. Even now, as you're hearing this message, you're thinking about someone you know that needs to hear this message. Like, oh man, I sure wish so-and-so was here. Man, they need a message like this. They're not in the room. You are. This isn't about them. This is about you. This Bible was not written and created for you to craft a bunch of things that other things need to change in other people's lives. God didn't give you the words so you can sit down and be like, man, I'm going to get you. Here's 10 different scriptures about what's wrong with you. This book is for you. This is for you to test your heart and test yourself. Get before God and you to be changed. This message today is for you. But this is what happens because people hear a message and they're like, as soon as the, oh, today we're talking about this. Be like, that's not for me. Really? This message is, God brought you here. You're here this morning. See, David's problem was in his eyes, he was perfect. In his eyes, he had nothing to work on. (laughs) Even after murdering a guy and taking his wife? And I asked myself, I said, how do you murder someone and see no problem with it? And then I thought to myself, you know what? People murder people with their tongues all the time and have no problem with it whatsoever. People murder people with their eyes and in their hearts, and they got no problem with it. They'll do it all week long and then show up in church raising their hands talking about, I love Jesus. There's no problem with me, Pastor. I didn't kill anybody this week. Amen, Pastor. That's good. Thank you, sir. Psalm 51. Again, we, see, we get to see the heart of David in here. In Psalm 51, 5 and 6, he said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. See, David's heart eventually, he saw himself, and we get into this, he eventually sees himself, but the initial part was he could not see himself. Immediately he thought it was someone else. What does it mean to you? Where is the first place you look when you're having problems? Is it to others? Or do you start with yourself? Because if the list of problems in your life are all connected with everybody else, you are wrong. If, you, if, if all you can do is think about like, oh man, I had bad parents and I had this bad job and this bad boss and this bad pastor and this bad church and this bad friend and oh, if I would have had this, whatever, and you're just scapegoating everybody else, the only common denominator in that trail is you. Yeah. 
But this is what people do because they can't face the reality of their own brokenness. They can't, they can't, they don't want to see uh, their, their fingerprints on their own destruction. It's, it's, it's a self-preservation mechanism. People do it all the time because I, I guess they just can't face the reality of their own brokenness. But the Bible is a self-reflective book. This isn't a book for you to use as accusations against other people. It's a book for you to reflect upon yourself. 2 Timothy 3.16 says the the word of God is God breathed is useful for rebuking and correction and training. It pierces to the heart and to the sinews. That's what it says. But it's talking about you. You've got to be able to see yourself, friend. Now, it's easy to sit up here and, you know, say, hey, every problem in your life is yours. And I know that's not true. It, it rains on the just and the unjust, okay? Like, as much as I'll say a lot of your problems are you, sometimes stuff just happens, right? I mean, a sickness comes out of somewhere and everybody gets sick. That's not your problem, right? It just happens. Sometimes you get hit by a tree, whatever. But, but even if calamity befalls you you still have a role to play in how you're going to respond to it. You, you, you can act a certain kind of way based how people have treated you, or, or you can choose to say like, you know what? I'm saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm a child of God, and I'm not going to respond to you the way that you're treating me, even though you're 100% wrong. So in that respect, your response is 100% on you. But the truth is oftentimes the problem is you. I, and again, I'll throw myself on the coals first. Most of the problems in my life are stemming around my thoughts, yeah. my feelings, yeah. how I feel about myself, yeah. what I want, yeah. what I think I deserve, yeah. how I slept, what the scale said to me this morning, yeah. what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Like literally there's times when all the, halfway through the morning, Crystal's like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm fine. She's like, you got on the scale this morning, didn't you? Like, maybe. That's why I get up before her so I can get on there quickly before she sees it. Sometimes she gets upset and she hides it from me. She's like, I'm taking the scale away from you. You're getting this <laughs> The path of repentance and, and, and growing in Christ begins with self-reflection. Where am I? What role do I have to play in this? And, and again, I'm going to throw a few scriptures at you here. It says in Galatians 6.3, For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. This is why the, the, the Bible is very much like not one of these like you're awesome, there's nothing about you that needs to change kind of book. It's like God is awesome, there's a lot of things about you that need to change. 1 Corinthians 11.28, But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Look at what Romans 12.3 says. For I say through the grace given to me that everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Thinking soberly isn't, isn't about self-deprecating, self-depreciating thoughts. It's not about beating yourself up. It's just about having an honest assessment and, and, and realizing like, man, I'm no better than anybody else. I don't deserve what I have. I, 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 I'm just living under the grace of God. I mean, that's why Paul said, by the grace given to me. Uh, it's always starting with yourself and, and being honest. Now, if you don't have that ability, find a friend that'll be honest. Um, some of y'all are so afraid of having an honest friend. 
When the truth is that if you're not going to be honest with yourself, find someone that will be honest with you. Um, this is one of my favorite portions of Scripture. It's in Luke chapter 18, and it's verse uh, 9 through uh, 14. It says, and this is Jesus, it says, Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. And that's the heart condition that we're talking about, is that people that are trusting in themselves and think that they are righteous and despising others. He says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you I'm not like these other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this tax collector over here, I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to the house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That's my, I don't know what your plan is, but my plan when I stand before Jesus is I want to do the beat the chest, I'm nothing plan. I'm not going to stand before God and be like, well, you know, God, I was a pastor. I paid my tithes. I was much better than these other people. That is not my plan, man. Dude, my plan is like, do you want Jesus? I failed you. I don't know if I did enough. Because I, I don't deserve anything that you gave me. At all. That's, I don't know what your plan is, but that's my plan. The Bible says in Proverbs 26, 12, do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. So here, here's the second part of it is that on, the, on this path of redemption that begins with being able to see yourself, when you finally do see yourself and you go before God, you can't have any excuses about what you've done. At all. You can't have any excuses. Nathan, prophet Nathan, puts David in his place. He tells him his problem. The problem is him. You're the man. And what he needs to do. And, and here, let me show you this. It's in, uh, uh, I'm going to go back to 2 Samuel. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, in verses uh, 7 through 12. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have given you much more. God saying, you know what? I would have given you even more than what you had, but you done messed it up. Why did you do this? Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You've killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword and you've taken your wife to be, taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall depart, never depart from your house because you've despised me. You've taken the wife of Uriah. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. Like, I'm not going to get into that, but that's a word picture, isn't it? Yeah. If you did it secretly... But this thing I will do before all Israel, before the Son. God says, you sinned against me secretly, but I'm going to give you judgment publicly. Now at this point, many people would come in and state their case. Yeah. Yeah. <gasps> David's like, hold on. You remember the Goliath thing? <whistles> right here. That was me. Huh? Those stones, you guys remember that? All those wars that were won? Right here. I was the guy. I was the one that made that happen. 
Because that's what most people do. And they're like, if you come to somebody and you accuse, and I don't care if it happens at work or in your relationship, people, I don't, do you keep these running lists of your accomplishments so you can use them when someone accuses you? I don't know. But that's what people do. Boss is like, why have you been showing up late? You know, I was early five days last week. You sure didn't notice that. <laughs> it don't matter that you were early five times. You're late today. I'm not talking about what happened five days ago. I'm talking about today. But David doesn't do that. He gets a hard rebuke from Nathan. And I love this. He just simply admits his sin. Verse 13, so David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. David didn't give any pushback. He didn't make any excuses. He didn't come and try to like list and say, well, I'm a king and, and you know, I had a bad, I had a bad dad and, you know, I had all these other, th- you, you know what I'm saying? He had a li- I was pursued for a long time, you know, and hey, it was the woman's fault. You know, she, she was out there bathing and she shouldn't have been out there and no, I've sinned against the Lord. And he echoes it in Psalm 51, verse 3. says, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me against you. You only have I sinned and done evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Hear me, church. True repentance has no demands. It makes no excuses. It gives no clarifications. It just owns it. And if you know the story of the prodigal son, when the prodigal son came back to his father, he didn't say, well, you know, dad, you were a bad dad. Or, hey, you know what? You, you shouldn't have done this. He comes back to him and he, it's, the Bible says he became aware of himself. And all he said was, you know what? I don't even deserve to be your son. I don't even deserve to be in your house. Just let me live with the pigs and eat what they eat. Because that's what I deserve. That's true repentance. But what happens with a lot of people is they want, they want restoration without any repentance. They're like, hey, I, I know that I wronged you, but let me tell you why I wronged you. Let me, let me tell you what was the matter and what, what happened wrong. And, and, and oh, let me tell you about what happened in my life before this happened. Psalm 32, 5, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. What does it mean to you? Now, if you're here this morning, you are not a Christian. The Bible says you're under the wrath of God, um, that God's wrath rests upon you. Um, and, and so your answer today in your beginning is just to come to God and made, uh, admit that you're a sinner that needs a savior, that you need to start your path of redemption. And that's the beginning of your path is not coming to God and making any excuses. It's just coming to him and be like, I'm the one that did wrong. You did nothing wrong. Please forgive me. That, that's the beginning of it. But for the rest of us in First John uh, chapter one, First John uh, chapter one verses eight through ten, it says this: If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. You've got to come to a point where you realize that you're a person of sin that needs a savior, right? I mean, Jesus taught us to pray and he said, forgive us our trespasses 
and those who have trespassed yet daily. Like that's how we're supposed to do because God knew the nature of us that we left to our own devices. We're going to fall into sin. I don't know about y'all, but I may have sinned like once or twice this morning before I got to church, you know? I mean, it's just the nature of it. But Jesus is ready to forgive all of your sin, not part of it. No matter what it is or where you have come from, there's nothing you have done wrong that he won't or can't forgive, but you have to admit it. You know, I literally broke relationship with somebody in the past because I was trying to become friends with them. I was like, man, what things are you working on in your life? And they're like, I got nothing to work on. I'm like, I cannot be friends with you because I'm, I'm going to ruin you. Like, you know, unwilling to admit them. The, 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 like, I got a list. Of, like, how long do you have to listen about stuff that I got to work on, man? Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Now here's, here's a little freebie. This isn't the point of the sermon, but I'll, since you showed up on spring ahead and braved the sickness, I'll give you a little freebie. <laughs> this works on your personal relationships as well. Yeah. The people that you hurt in your relationships do not need your excuses. They don't need your reasons. They don't need a list of what they did wrong. They don't need a list of what brought you to this point. They need you to own what you've done and just ask for forgiveness. Just like, you know what? That was me. It was 100% me. Because even if someone else does something to you, it doesn't justify your sin. It just doesn't work that way. God doesn't look down at your sin and be like, well, you know, they did do that to you. So it's a take a freebie. It'll be fine. No. Just go to those people that you love and say, you know what? I'm sorry. Don't deny it. Don't deflect it. Don't defend it. Just say, this is what I did. I'm asking for forgiveness. Luke 16, 15 says, uh, you, uh, and he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed amongst men is abomination in the sight of God. People can say whatever they want with their mouths, trying to justify themselves, but God knows the heart. He knows what we've done and what we've taken part in. And justifying ourselves will not get us the restoration that we need in our relationships or in our relationship with God. Now, uh, people, and I don't have time to get into this nonsense, but you know, people say, well, you know, Christ forgives and we, we don't have to repent. That's not what the Bible says. Our, our relationship with God is a, is, a, is a mutual relationship where Christ's forgiveness is a force that's going out into the world. The, the force of Christ's forgiveness is there. And, and people take that as like, well, he forgives everyone. And he does. But if he forgives people without repentance, that would be universalism. Yeah. Yeah. That would say like, well, there's nothing that you have to do to respond that, you know, because his forgiveness came, then everybody's forgiven. And, and that's just how it is. And I'm like, mm, I just don't really see that in the Bible. We have to have a response to his forgiveness. And repentance, some people think it's a, a, a big nasty word. It's a very simple word. It just means to turn, to have a change of mind, a metanoia, uh, to have your mind changed. And, and the mind change is, I'm a, not with God. I am a sinner. I want to be forgiven. I want to walk with God. It's just a turning to, because there can be no restoration of the relationship without any repentance, without any admittance of guilt and shame and coming together. Now, in human relationships, it's no different in that we can offer forgiveness to somebody and we can forgive people that have wronged us, but the restoration of the relationship is predicated on them turning and admitting their sin and saying, I'm going to change myself uh, to, to not do that 
anymore, right? If you and I were in a relationship with each other and I punched you in the face every time that I saw you, you'd be like, you know what, I need to forgive Pastor Matt. Every time I see him, he punches me in the face. But at some point, you'd be like, you know what, I'm not sure I want to be in a relationship with you because every time I see you, you punch me in the face. You refuse to, to appropriate the forgiveness I'm giving you. And, and like, well, I love you and I, forget, I received that forgiveness. Pow, pow, pow. None of us would do that. That's the definition of an abusive relationship. God is, the, God is a God of total and complete forgiveness, but you have to turn to him in forgiveness. You have to repent. Now, here's the best part of this sermon is that God does forgive, but you have to accept the forgiveness. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sins. You shall not die now, we, we don't see this addressed specifically in the scripture of 2 Samuel 12, but that's why we're using uh, Psalm 51 at the same time, is that it shows the heart that happens within David after he receives the forgiveness that God provides. Now, again, David had no clarifications, no excuses. I have sinned. David says... Uh, the Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. Now, again, we don't have a lot of time to get into it. There's sometimes there's consequences of sin that the consequences are still there, even though you've been forgiven. So he's going to have to deal with war and death and all these other things. And we're going to see that as we continue through the scriptures. He's still giving people an occasion to blaspheme God, uh, but he is forgiven and, and he is going to continue to do great things for the Lord. Uh, now, moving from sin to confession to acceptance is key. You have to walk in the forgiveness that Christ provides. It's not enough to just believe it. You have to walk in it. You have to act like you're forgiven. You have to believe that you're forgiven. You have to walk in the forgiveness that Christ provides. Friend, he forgives all manner of sin. Amen? Psalm 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. And when God forgives, he forgives. It's not a somewhat forgiveness. It is a total forgiveness. And what's hard is that God will forgive and forget, but we don't forget. And so what happens is, is that those things from years ago will torment you in your mind. And it's a tool of Satan to discourage you from walking in the forgiveness that Christ provides. God forgets sin, but we remember sin. And so then we walk in this way of like, well, I'm, my identity is based on my past. My identity is based on this secret sin that I had that, that only God knows about. And it's just a lie from the pit of hell. Yeah. God forget the, the, the greatest story in the Bible is the fact that Christ forgives us. None of us are worthy. None of us are able to stand before God if it weren't for Jesus. And this is what's so great about this story is a murdering adulterer that is then listed in the book of Acts as a man after God's own heart. All of these guys knew the story. They, I mean, and again, I love this about the Bibles that it takes our heroes and paints them in the most honest light possible. And so they, if they could say about a, an adulterous murdering man that he has a, a, a heart after God, I would say there's hope for us as well. Amen. Amen. 
And what do we see after in his heart after he's forgiven? We see it in Psalm 51. Restoration of joy, verse 12. A desire to share with other people that he's been forgiven in verse 13. A singing of praise in verse 14 and 15. And then a desire to live a holy life in verses 16 through 19. That's what a changed heart does. A changed heart doesn't be like, oh, I was forgiven. Let me go find someone else to kill. Let me go find somebody else to commit adultery with. No, it says, you know what? I'm going to tell everybody about the fact that I've been forgiven. I'm going to praise your name. I'm going to, God, I'm going to live a holy life now because you've, you've forgiven me of this. I deserve death, but you set me free. And if you're not seeing those fruits in your life, I'd question whether or not you've taken hold of forgiveness. I mean, if you really believe that Christ had forgiven you, you'd be telling other people that they could be forgiven too. If you've been released from that guilt and shame, you're like, do you want, man, I know you have guilt and shame, friend. I want to share it with you because I'm so excited about what Christ has forgiven of me. What does it mean to you? Are you walking in the forgiveness that Christ provides? Have you admitted it before God with no excuses? Now, again, if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. You need to do that the first time. But the, the problem, problem, One of the issues with Christianity is that, you know, we get saved, we get born again, we do these things. And then if you're anything like me, you might have like, yeah, one or two like issues past your date of salvation. (laughs) Anybody else? You know, if you're anything like me, man, like, I just feel like how many times do I have to talk to God about this? Like, he must be like... When you think about the billions of people that are always asking him for forgiveness, like his, his fountain overflows, you know, he wants to hear about it. And so like, how do we walk in that forgiveness? Because even if you've done it a, a number of times, just like, dude, I'm just, that's just who I am. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to waste God's time, but God's like, do you know what? I want to give you full forgiveness. I want, I want you to walk in the forgiveness that I provide. I don't want you walking around broke, busted, and disgusted with your head down. That's not how I see you. And I don't want you to see yourself that way either. I want you to walk in the forgiveness that I provide. And when you have that forgiveness, it'll give you joy. And, 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 and the joy that you have is a joy, especially if people know what you did. They'll, they'll make it seem like, man, you're not allowed to have joy like that because I know what you did. It's like, you want know God knows what I did too, and he forgave me. And you're not, I'm not, I'm not having joy because of you. I'm having joy because of him. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. You guys remember that song? This joy that... The world didn't give it to me, this joy that I have. The world didn't give it to me, the world didn't give it, the world can't take it away. But I'm bum bum, this peace that I have. The world didn't give it to me. Those are some good songs, man. Desire to share the gospel of forgiveness, singing of praise. That's why sometimes people see like, Man, how do these people praise God like that? Because I'm thinking about all the stuff He forgave me of, man. Oh, I don't want to live holy because I want people to see me a certain kind of way. I'm like, man, God, I want to live this way for you. Folks, forgiveness is a promise of Scripture over and over and over. It's declared. Hebrews 10, 17, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Christ does not remember your sin. Jeremiah 31, 34. I think we've got it up there. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. 
That's why, again, Old Testament, New Testament, God, it's the same God. God is a God of mercy and forgiveness from Genesis to Revelation. He desires to show mercy. It's in his nature to show mercy. He loves to show forgiveness. But we must turn to him, receive the forgiveness, and then walk in it. 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Hear me, church. If you've repented, you've turned towards God, you are forgiven. You are a new man. You have been fully cleansed. You are not your past. He gives new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Let me show you in Ephesians chapter 4. And this is, say amen if this is ministering to you this morning. That's good. I hope it does. It ministered to me when I was was writing this sermon. Uh, In Ephesians chapter 4, Verses 20 through 24, it says, But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Folks, you can walk tall. You can have no guilt or shame. It doesn't matter. If you've been forgiven, you've been forgiven. Walk in it. Because I'll tell you, man, God cannot use somebody that doesn't walk in forgiveness. It just doesn't work because you've got to appropriate it. The story of our faith is forgiveness. You can walk tall. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I pray today that you would walk in the forgiveness that Christ provides, that you would forget your past, that you would not allow the devil to beat you up about it, but you would know that if God can forgive David, he can forgive you and he can forgive everybody in Jesus name. Amen. 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 Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never 